earthly rulers, and I know we do, we know that somehow over all of them, you are bringing history to your desired ends. And one day, the king returns. And then we go to be with you. And so we look forward to that day. And until then, we're going to keep telling people. We're going to keep uh, looking at these wonderful truths about heaven. We're going to get ready to meet the king. So help us now in preparing ourselves for that amazing day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if you haven't been in the church much, one of the the major hopes that all Christians have is that we're going to meet Jesus in the air one day. He's going to come back and and we're going to be there with him. We call that the rapture. Now, some Christians in their zeal to proclaim the rapture put stickers on their car. You've seen them, right? Rapture stickers on their car. I, I found a few that I want to show you today. There's this one, Beam Me Up Jesus. And if you don't know what that means, I'm so sorry for you. Uh, the next one, warning, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned, which I suppose is for the person behind you that's like, oh, well that's freaky, because if they don't know what the rapture is, what in the world does that even mean? You know, the, you're going to jump out of the car, you're going to, I don't know, but there it is. Um, I break for the rapture. Now, if you put this one on your car, you may be on the wrong side of things. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, like, if you thought that one was for Christians, I think you want to go in the rapture, not be breaking for it, okay? Just putting it out there. Maybe that's the wrong one. Okay. Now, this is an inside joke, okay? If, you, if you're not part of the church and you're checking things out, again, um, there, there, there's a difference of opinion on when the rapture happens, but, but I know that when, when we go up in the pre-trib rapture, there's going to be a lot of you going, see, see, I told you, you know, and I'll be one of them going, yeah, fine, 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 all right, you're right, got it. I think I got one more, maybe. And then there's these that are kind of like the harsh, you know, militant, like, we're going to get you, you know, get ready for the flight, Jesus is coming, and boy, is he mad. And as long as you're reading the King James Version, you'll see that that is true. Okay, um, so I don't know, people want to declare their, their belief in the rapture, they want to be rapture ready, maybe you've seen that one too, uh, but however you declare it, it is appropriate, it is right to be looking for Jesus' return. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus says, expect it, I'm coming back. Some people aren't expecting it and they're just, they're like in a lull, they're in a daze, but Jesus says, I want you to be alert. Paul was alert. Today we're looking at a passage in uh, 2 Corinthians, but I want to tell you something about Paul. He wrote a lot about the second coming of Christ. He wrote a lot of things. I don't have time to go into all the things he wrote about it, but he wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the year A.D. 55. Two books, two letters in that year. 1st Corinthians he wrote in uh, the spring and 2 Corinthians, he probably wrote at the onset of winter, A.D. 55. He wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. He wrote 2 Corinthians from uh, Macedonia, we think. In 1 Corinthians, this is the way Paul starts. So if we can pull the verse up. He, he, he talks about expecting the coming of Christ. He says, Therefore, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait 
for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is, Jesus is going to keep you strong for the day He returns. Until then, use your spiritual gifts. You're not lacking any of them, so use them. Be busy, be active, but look for, be eager for Jesus. It's not a, it's not a um, I'm looking for Him, so... Uh, I'm, I'm just like being lazy. No, it's work harder as you wait for Him. That's the way Paul talks in 1 Corinthians. He's, he himself is expecting Jesus' return. But I think there comes a time in a lot of people's lives when they realize, I may die before this happens. Now, don't get me wrong, when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first. We looked at that three weeks ago. But I may not be alive, like living, to see it happen like that. I may, pass, I may have to pass through the doorway of death first. And isn't it interesting that if you jump forward now, just a matter of months later, Paul writes another letter called 2 Corinthians. And in that letter, he starts it a little bit differently. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 1.8 We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. Paul's like, I think I might die. And I was so low about this, I even despaired. I despaired of life because I thought I might die. Paul went through some heavy, heavy persecution. Some heavy hardships. Which is why in 2 Corinthians, he writes in chapter 4 about having a treasure in jars of clay. He has the gospel, but it's in this weak, fragile jar of clay. It's unassuming. It doesn't look like anything. But inside that jar of clay, his body, he has this amazing treasure. And then he talks about, you know... Even all the suffering is producing this this glory, this weight of glory he talks about in chapter 4. So Paul is beginning to think about his own death. He's beginning to face reality that maybe he won't be alive for Jesus' second coming. Maybe he won't be around, that, that is, living on earth for the rapture. Now, about 12 years later, Paul finds himself in a, in a dank prison under Emperor Nero, and he writes something to Timothy here, probably lonely but facing the reality of his own death. And he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. He says, even though I've faced the reality of my death, I never lost the longing for Jesus to come back. But the reality is, I may not be alive in an earthly body to see it that way. I may not be here in that sense. I have to face the reality of my own death. So, it's with that in mind, I would invite you to look at 2 Corinthians 5 where we're going to see the Apostle Paul thinking about his own death. And what he says here is very important for us as we consider our death and what happens the moment after 
we die. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And again, I want to be clear. Paul never lost his longing for the second coming. He, he, didn't, he didn't say like, well, fine, I'm going to die. I guess I'll stop worrying about Jesus coming back. That never happened. He always was looking for Jesus. But he also had to reckon with the reality that probably at some point Nero or somebody was going to take his life. And so they did. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. After talking about what a fragile vessel his body is, this jars of clay thing, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we're clothed, we won't be found naked. For while we're in this tent, that means his body, by the way, his body, this tent, we groan and we're burdened. Because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, our heavenly body, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it's God who made us for this very purpose has given us His Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident, and we know that as long as we are home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and a home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Okay. Here is Paul talking about, thinking about the fact that he may die before the return of Christ. And he's got he's to weigh that. He's got to think about that. He's got to consider it. And what he says is, we have confidence. If you catch that, you catch that in verse 6. He says it in verse 8 as well. So over and over he's saying, but we, that is me and the rest of the church, we are confident in Christ. Death is not something that gets us down. In fact, in some translations you might read, we have good courage. We have good courage. We are confident in the face of our death. What makes us so confident? How can you face your own death like that? And I think for Paul, there's at least three convictions here that he has that give him and give us that kind of confidence. And I want to show them to you. And I'm going to keep this really simple this morning. I'm going to go from good to better to best. That There's things here that Paul says that are good, things that he says here that are even better, and things that he says here that are the best. And they just fill him with confidence regarding his own death. So I want to show that, those, that good, better, best thing here and let, let you see it, okay? Um, let's talk about the tent first. Your tent is your earthly body. And this is an, this is, this is an excellent metaphor for the body because tents are temporary, fragile structures. And, and, and Paul's a tent maker, so he knows all about tents. You can live in a tent. You can live for a long time in a tent. But eventually that tent will wear out. That's why we live in houses, you know. Because tents are only good for a while. And, and your tent may wear out at 70 years. 
maybe before, maybe after. But whether you're a Christian or not, and if you're not a Christian, I would just appeal to you on this logic. You know this is true. Your tent, your body is not going to last forever. And you've already dealt with the weaknesses it presents you. You already know this. And if you don't know it yet, you know people that know it personally. Tents are fragile and they wear out. And yet, Paul says, it's good to camp in our earthly tent. It's good. But yes, we've got to reckon with the fact that they wear out. Uh, I, I took a group of uh, junior hires camping one time in the uh, Porcupine Mountains, not, not too far north of here. And we, I remember the first night we set up the tents. I had borrowed tents from uh, different families, and we set them up. And uh, that's always one of the jobs of the, the junior hires, to figure out how to set up the tent. So I set up the tent, and that night a storm rolled in. And it was, it was an intense storm, you know, raining, uh, thunder, lightning, and, and, and we're all in the tent. And, and it's about 2 a.m., and everybody's awake now because of the thunder. And I remember seeing the lightning flash and seeing everybody's faces. Then we're turning on flashlights. And, and then, and then, we discovered our tent was not waterproof. And I don't remember whose tent it was. I don't remember whose parents gave it to me to use. I don't know. I wanted to call them, you know. I wanted to call them. But um, I know there were puddles in our tent. But you know what? The puddles didn't bother me because I had the high ground. I was like up a little bit higher in the tent and the puddles were like on the other side. It was a big tent. There's a bunch of people in it. And uh, all I remember was being so thankful that I was dry and, uh, and thinking, this, this feels like a little bit of a revenge fantasy with junior hires, you know? Like, fine, get wet. That's what you get for giving me, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. And if you're junior high, you think I'm a terrible person now. But um, there it is. This is the problem with this tent. It wears out. It's leaky. It's not designed to last forever. This is what we live in. And when the storms of life roll in, you know this tent is weak. We all have to face this. Number one, though, Paul would still say it's good to camp in your earthly tent. It's, it's good to be there. This is not a bad thing. You know, I mean, you're, you're groaning for the eternal tent, but look what he says. Um, he says in verse 9, So we make it our goal to please God, please Him, whether we're home in the body or away from it. We can do things in the body. And then he also says in verse 7, we live by faith and not by sight. And then in verse 11, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. There's a lot to do in the body. There's a lot of things we still have to do. It's good to be in the body. Philippians 1, right? Philippians 1, we can put that up. Paul says, I expect not to be ashamed. I, want, I have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the true. I desire to be depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. If you're in the body, that means God still has a plan for your life and He wants you to glorify Him in some way. If you're still here, if your body, if this tent still functions, God has a plan for you. He has a job for you. He wants you to use your gifts to glorify Him. 
Another thing about the body, this tent, is this. Did you catch this? Um, here it is, verse 5. God who made this for, God made us for this very purpose has given us, here it is, the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. One day I'll get a resurrection body, but God gave me something as a deposit, a down payment, guaranteeing the body, and that's the Holy Spirit. And this, my friends, you know, if you don't, if you don't know Christ yet, maybe you've met some Christians that don't act very Christ-like. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is living in our tents, and He's remodeling them. Now, He's not reinforcing them with steel because these things are still going to wear out, you know. But He's remodeling them to make you look more like Jesus. You ever remodeled your house? How many of you have remodeled your house at some point? Done something to your house and you remodeled. Okay. Tell me it never gets messy. How many of you remodeling your house right now? Anybody right now? All right, look at that. Tell me it doesn't get messy. Tell me one thing doesn't lead to another. Tell me there's not dust and dirt and grime and junk all over your house and your wife's going, honey, when? Really? Come on. You know. Right? And some of you are telling stories right now because you know exactly what I mean. Listen. The Holy Spirit's remodeling us from the inside. It's, it can be messy. And sometimes you bump into Christians and the remodeling is in the messy stage. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean. We've got to give grace to each other. We're all imperfect. The Holy Spirit's got a lot to do in most of us, myself included. And we're going to bump into each other and we're going to see someone else's tent and go, whoa, what a mess. And the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, I'm working on it. Be patient. I'm working on it. Maybe give me a hand here. Um, you're in a tent. It's a good tent. God gave it to you for a number of years, some longer than others. He's transforming that tent to look more like Jesus' tent. And the tent's going to get holes in it. It's going to be holy, but it's also getting more holy. Right? And if you can take being holy, holes, with being more holy, you'll have a good time in your tent. That's how it works. Okay. Number two. So, I said, it's good to camp in the tent. It's good to be in this body. Christians are not suicidal. We we, we may long for heaven, but we know that God has a lot of good work for us here. It's good to be in the body. Secondly, though, let's talk about what's even better. It's even better to be unclothed with the Lord. Here, here's what Paul says, if you look at the verses again. Um, verse 2, Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. That, that, that's a heavenly house. That's your, your, your resurrection body. You know, God's going to give you a new body. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, verse 3, Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we were in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed, with our heavenly dwelling, so what is mortal may be swallowed up with life. Okay, let's unpack this. I think when he's talking about being unclothed, what he's going for is, one day you will die, and your body will go in a casket, or it will be cremated, and your soul will be removed from your body. There's an immaterial part of you. 
that the Lord's going to take to be with Himself, that, that soul. And that soul will be naked. It will be unclothed. It will be without a body. Do you get what the metaphor he's going for here? It will be an unclothed soul. Now, part of this, I believe, is Paul trying to say, uh, do, do we have the First Corinthians verse, Jim? Can we put that up? Uh, remember First Corinthians 15? Some of you know this verse really well. If it's preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? You know, um, Some people are saying, you don't get a resurrected body. Your soul goes on, and you're in this state of bliss. And your soul, your immaterial soul, is just in a state of bliss for eternity. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You're going to be clothed again. You get a resurrection body. But there is a sense, and this is very real, that our soul, for a while, will be unclothed. It will be naked in that sense, in heaven with Christ. Now look what Paul says about that. Um, Therefore, verse 6, we're always confident and know that as long as we are home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live, live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So even if you take the resurrection body out of the equation, Paul says, I would rather have my soul be away from the body and with the Lord. Even if it's unclothed, even if the soul is completely unclothed, it'd be better to be with Jesus. Remember what the verses we read in in Philippians just a second ago? To live is Christ, to die is gain. I'd rather depart and be with Christ. So what he's saying is, it is better, number two, it's better than being in the body to have an unclothed soul with the Lord. Here's our understanding of how this works. I'll say it again. One day you will die, and we'll do something with your body. We'll have a service for you. We'll bury the body, cremate you, something. And your unclothed soul will go to be with God. And you're going to be in a place that Jesus told the thief was called paradise. That's a great place for the soul to be. And this paradise is also referred to when Jesus told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was in that paradise called Abraham's side when Jesus told that parable. And what we get from that is, yeah, it's good to be there because you're going to be you. Lazarus was still Lazarus. So you're still going to have a name. You're going to have a personality. I don't know how that works being immaterial. What is the substance of the soul? What does that look like when you get to heaven? The moment you die, you're going to be in paradise if you're a believer. Is God going to give you a temporary body? Is the soul going to have some kind of substance that you can see it? Well, yeah, you're going to be able to see it. You're going to be able to recognize people. Remember, there's great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. There's going to be celebrating in heaven with your immaterial soul, however that works. So you're going to be you, you're going to recognize people, you're going to have a name, you're going to be able to talk, all while having only the substance of a soul. Again, there's a bit of mystery there, but there you will be in a place of joy. Some people ask, will we know what's going on on earth? And if you're reading the book, 50 Days of Heaven, you know Alcorn talks about that, and he strongly believes we will have 
some understanding of what goes on on earth because of the rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. There's, There's an understanding there. Or the souls under the altar in Revelation who know things that are happening on earth during that time. There seems to be an awareness there. I can't tell you for sure. Alcorn's pretty sure. But but this is a place of awareness and joy and having a name and being with your family and being with Christ. And Paul says, even if I'm going unclothed, I want to be with Jesus. That's the place for me. Okay, we did good. We did better. How about best? How about best? What would be the best? Number three, it's best to be with the Lord in our eternal house. Again, Paul is brilliant here. It's a little bit of a mixed metaphor because he talks about it like clothing, but that's okay. Um, He says, we have an eternal house from the Lord. God is giving us a house. What he means is our body. The tent is temporary. The house is more permanent. None of you want to go camping forever. And that's appropriate. We want to be in an eternal house, a stable, solid structure. That's your new resurrected body. We'll talk more about that later. But I just want to call your attention to the fact that Paul says uh, in verse uh, 2, how about verse 1? We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. God is going to give you this body. It's not going to be a human birthed body. Verse 2 Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we're clothed, we'll not be found naked. Is it appropriate for us to want that resurrection body? Absolutely yes. That, that's the best. You're going to be in, your, in, in the eternal state at that point. See, the current heaven is a place where all the souls go. A place of joy and wonder where God's throne is. That's heaven. In Revelation, there's this new heaven and earth where it says the new Jerusalem comes down. We're going to talk about that in the future weeks. And heaven and earth seem to collide. And we're going to live there in our new bodies forever. And all Paul is saying is, I can't wait to get my new body because that's what God wants for me. In fact, it says in one part, I love this. Think about this. Um, Where'd it go? Uh, God has given us the Holy Spirit guaranteeing what is to come. And now I'm not seeing it, but um, the Holy Spirit is preparing us, the Scripture says. I'm not seeing it as I'm looking, but um, God's getting us ready for a new body. You should want that. And when your body breaks down and doesn't do what it's supposed to do, you should groan. That's okay. It's okay to groan when this thing doesn't work like it should. You're not being a whiner. You're not being a slacker. You know, We groan because we don't groan just because our bodies worn out. We groan because there's a resurrection body coming and that's what we want. Now if you groan just to groan and if you whine just to whine, maybe that's a problem because we're not supposed to complain really. But if you groan and say, Oh God, I look forward to the day when you give me a new body, that is the best because we get to be with Jesus and a physical, perfected body. So, let's conclude with this. We have an unshakable confidence. You can think about your own death and realize it's just a doorway. 
into something even more amazing than this life. It's a doorway to an unclothed soul, and that's good. That's even better. But it's also a doorway into eventually, when Jesus returns, all of us are going to have a new body, and that's the best. Um, one more story. One camping trip I took, again with junior hires. You can see the theme here. Um, and we were at uh, Devil's Lake State Park. Maybe that was my problem, Devil's you know, Lake, you know. Um, but I, I had borrowed a 15-passenger van from a guy from church who used it for his business. The van was immaculate. So as a youth pastor, I get in that van and I think to myself, Self, this is a nice van. You got 14 junior hires in it. Look out. Um, so I, I got to Devil's Lake. We got out. Of course, it rained that night. And uh, I was thinking, if I leave that van open in the morning, they will get in the van. Somebody will, because junior hires are unpredictable. I'm sorry, it's true. Um, and they're going to have muddy feet. So I locked the van doors. During breakfast, a student came up to me and said, I left whatever in the van. Can I go get it? And I said, why, certainly you can. Here's the key. Please lock it up when you get done. So that person got whatever they were getting. I don't remember if it was a guy or a girl. I have no, I don't remember that at all. I only remember the keys were returned to me, and I put them in my pocket, ate my breakfast, and then something hit me about an hour later. People were getting into the van, and it had just rained. It was a muddy, muddy mess, and they were getting in the van with muddy shoes. And I was so angry. I was so angry. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to clean this up. You know, Because again, normally I have students clean up after their own messes. That's a good rule of thumb, right? You clean up after yourself. But this is like dirt and mud. And like, if this isn't perfect. So we got back. I got out the carpet cleaner. And, and it, there was. There was mud all over. And I, and I scrubbed it. I sprayed it. I vacuumed it. I did everything I could. And it looked really good when I returned it. I don't even think the person knows unless he hears this sermon, then he'll know. Um, I'm sorry, Jerry. I'm sorry. If you're hearing this, I'm sorry. Um, some of you don't believe in Christ yet. And you're living in a body. And there's no way of knowing when your tent's going to wear out. When your tent's going to be destroyed. But I'll tell you this. If your tent is full of mud, you will not enter heaven. And the only way to clean the mud, the only way to clean the sin out of your life, all the mistakes you've made, all the commandments you've broken, the only way to do that is to trust that Jesus has paid the price for your sin. He cleans up the tent. And yes, we all have to cooperate with him and keep you know, trying to live in a clean way because he's called us to that. It's better that way. But it all starts with saying, Jesus, clean me up. Can I ask you to bow your heads now and close your eyes? Uh, if you feel like I'm talking to you today, 
Maybe I am. And if you want to respond to this and say, yes, today is the day I want to get cleaned up. I want to put my faith in Jesus. He died for me to pay the price for my sins, and he rose from the dead. And if that's what you want to affirm today and believe, put your faith in, would you look up at me today? If this is you, and you need to respond in this. See you. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. Would you, would you pray a prayer with me? I see you, sir, too. Would you pray a prayer with me? I just want to give words to what you're experiencing right now. So please pray something like this in your heart. Lord Jesus, today I am convicted and I am sorry that my tent is dirty. And I've tracked the mud in. It's all on me. I'm so sorry. But today I also want to affirm, I want to express my belief that Jesus has died to pay for my sins. And I want to affirm that I also believe in His resurrection. He's a living Savior. So please clean up this tent. Make me new. Send your Holy Spirit to live inside me. And let's start this remodeling process. Get me ready to meet the King. And may I spend my lifetime now glorifying you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.